Hello everybody, I'm Jose. I'm Mike. And we are eavesdropping at the movies and we've just come back from seeing uh, Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One. Mm. Which I have found the most boring film in Christendom. <laughs> so. Well, that's, that's quite legitimate. Um, I was sort of worried about it because it's, it's, where should we begin? It's about uh, a future Ohio, dystopian, uh, climate change, just wrecked things, everyone's having a shit time, mm. set in this kind of futuristic trailer park mm. um, in 2020, uh, 2045. Mm. And everyone plays this virtual reality game called Oasis. It's, it's a world people mm. live in. It's like, it, it, it has precedence. In, in our current times with things like Second Life and PlayStation Home and things, which are these kind of worlds where people online gather and, and congregate. They're sort of like immersive chat rooms almost. Mm. But then within it, you can do whatever you like in Oasis. So you can climb a mountain with Batman, it says, or you can uh, you know, race cars, you can play all sorts of games within it. And people just live in this thing as an escape from the real world. Mm. I'm trying to find out where the place is set because it's a very specific place. It's something Columbus, like, Ohio. Columbus, Ohio. It's set in Columbus, Ohio. Um, so, so well, the reason I was worried about it was because it is built on nostalgic references to video games and movies and pop music and pop music from the 1980s and 1990s and, and kind of more generally all over, but particularly those eras. Yes, actually, the kind of Spielberg eras, really. <laughs> It's addressing my generation, you know. And mine, I would say. Really? Because the the music, so it it begin. I think the oldest film that I found cited was really like Star Wars and Saturday Night Fever. So it begins with that era of the mid late seventies. It also references Citizen Kane once in a line of dialogue. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, Rosebud, which is like so banal. I mean, actually, I, uh, you know, I went from being bored to being irritated. Really. Well, I can tell, and we'll get on to your response to the ending. I think. Yeah. Um, one thing that I thought was was kind of silly, really, about the I actually I actually quite like the construction of its world. Like it's so relentless in in how much and how often it references all these different properties. Where like you know you've got p- people can drive the Back to the Future car, people mm. can ride the Akira bikes, people can be the Iron Giant, people can do all all these things all over there, absolutely everywhere. Yeah, their avatar is Superman. Right. You know. So absolutely all over the place. These things. Um, that actually, I think it, it's it's quite coherent actually in that like it's sort of it's not or, or or in other words they haven't kind of half asked it like the the amount of work that's gone in to uh, securing all these licenses must have taken years. Yes, but you know. in a way, I think a who cares uh, and b I thought it's one of the ugliest films I've seen in the last decade. I just hated the whole look of it. I hated using those avatars. So really, it's almost like a cartoon movie, you know, but with without the care into characterization that goes into cartoon movies yep. and without the emotional resonance of it being played by live actors. So almost the entire movie is these avatars, you know, inside this video world, mm. right? So, and I just thought it looked ugly. The, the, the color lacked intensity and the image lacked density. And actually... Though you can tell that all the effects are very expensive, they also look rather cheap. You know? Well, I think I think that might be partially uh, intentional because I, I think um, uh, the cheapness of it. I mean, because 
the, the way that characters look, they look like video game characters from cutscenes in yes. modern day video games. It's like characters in films, CGI characters in films, have looked so much more realistic than this. Mm. And I don't think it's a mistake that they don't in this. I think uh, it is an effect the films. Well, let me. For. Well, let me turn it around. I th- I agree with you that it's deliberate. I also think it's a mistake. Sure. You know, in the sense that I got no visual pleasure out of it. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but what I was going to get to when I talked about what I was worried about with all these with references. So on the one hand, like the world building, I think is really good. But what you've got is this this eighteen year old in twenty forty five, who so was born in twenty twenty seven or whatever it was, um, and what he cares about is the stuff that people care about now. Yeah. Retro stuff people care about now. So, you know, you've got this whole sequence with The Shining, you've got all this stuff with Back to the Future and Jurassic Park and King Kong, all this sort of stuff. But the thing is, retro works, retro nostalgia for media works on like a 30-year cycle. You know, that's why It and Stranger Things are kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. In, the, in the zeitgeist at the minute. Um, so, like, actually what this guy cares about should be what's from the 2010s, mm-hmm. which obviously you can't really... Do. Mm. So, do you know what I mean? Like, what he cares about, if you take the fiction of the world, think about it, what he cares about is 70 years old, something. Mm. You know, do you know what I mean? I do know when what he you references mean. Anyway, Citizen Kane, that's 100 years old. I know. I, but that, um, I mean, I suppose in a way I didn't mind. I thought, I thought there was a mistake. I thought there's a weird thing like, like, that's happening in the film, which is it's really addressing my generation in a way, right? The generation that grew up with all of those Spielberg films in the 80s and, yeah. you know, uh, when he was king. Of the movies, really, but on the other hand, it's also it's addressed at eighteen-year-olds who play video games and exactly. you know are the film goers. And actually, there's a mismatch there that doesn't work. It's also really, 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 really uh, aimed at guys. There's not a way for women into this film unless they're interested in the stuff that guys are into. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then I think even what guys are into. I mean, I just found it like. You know, completely dull. It was like one pop reference after another, yeah. after another. But there's no emotional resonance in it at all. I didn't care about what was at stake. You don't feel for the characters. I didn't like any of the actors. And actually, there are some that are my pet irritants in this. Like, um, <laughs> Mark Rylance being foremost amongst them. Um, and I just didn't get what was, you know... Why is Spielberg making this shit? I mean... Well, you know. it's not. it's not a million miles from... Some of, the, some of the stuff that he's made before. I mean, so when we, when we got to the final, not even third, maybe final, like, fifth of the film, where it was all wrapping up, you you were starting to go, oh, God, ugh, and you were scoffing or, you know, audibly. I could help myself. It was, at, like, so happened. irritating. And I thought, you know, actually, what I was saying wasn't wasn't that bad. I, I, I quite enjoyed, no, I quite enjoyed myself, and I think part of what it is, is this is, this is like... This is like a kids' movie used to be. It's just that it's not for you anymore, right? Like the th- the whole thing at the end, where it's like everyone turns out to you know it all wraps up nicely and and they win the day and they make and the right decisions. Rah, rah, right, rah. but that's like that's <laughs> that's how kids' but movies. But that's stupid. Sure, but it, then if you it's know? stupid, if it's stupid now, it was always stupid then. No, because I think it was better done then, you know. And I think kind of it was it was more hopeful. I mean, I've been reading these these things about you know the lack of bad faith at the moment, right? And kind of. You know, well, comparing Britain anyway, you know, to like uh, uh, the last days of the Soviet Union under Gorbachev, in which kind of nobody believes in anything that they do. You know, and I've been saying this about films for a long time. So, you know, when I was like 14 and watching these movies or whatever, you did believe that and it responded to it and you wanted collective activity and, you know, you, like you genuinely felt like cheering, you know, at Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. 
But actually, kind of, now it feels false. The filmmakers don't believe that, you know, the writers don't believe that, and the audience doesn't believe that. And actually, it feels like this echoey uh, chamber, you know, of Baudrillardian simulations, but actually in which you kind of break away and kind of know now know what's at stake. You, you're outside that world of simulation and have some kind of critical distance to it. And it just seems phony and irritating, profoundly well, irritating. There is certainly one way in which it's pretty phony, which is that... Um, you spend you spend your whole time in the film uh, within the world of the Oasis, you, most of it. Um, you know, kind of having fun. There are fights going on. There's action. There's races, and, and you see all these references that you. They're actually they're incredibly superficial. That there's no meaning to anything, mm. uh, which is one of the things that people were concerned about, particularly when uh, when they knew the Iron Giant was going to be in it, because the Iron Giant is a film which people have real affection for. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's so sad and everything. I don't really care about it, but. But then the idea that the Iron Giant would become like an action hero—it seemed to be, was it was it going to be satirical of the way that people think of pop culture, the way they use it, and the way they kind of uh, dismiss or don't understand its mm. its meanings, or is it, or was, or was it actually going to sort of misunderstand its meanings itself as the mm. film? And like, so people were very concerned about that. Actually, I think it's all, I think it actually turns it into quite good fun. Everything, everything that you see, but. But, on the other hand, so you enjoy all your time in the Oasis, and then at the end, you have Simon Pegg's character return, who was one of the co-creators of Oasis, and he basically says, I think, you know, I'm worried that people are spending too much time in the Oasis and they don't spend enough time in the real world. And so when the kid, like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, when he takes over, like Charlie Bucket, he takes over the Oasis, he says, right, we're going to turn the Oasis off on Tuesdays and Thursdays so people can spend more time in the real world. Which is like... That's having your cake and eating it. You can't say, on the one hand, isn't the Oasis fucking amazing? Let's save this place and so we can keep on keep on retreating from the problems of the real world, which there are significant problems in the real world. You see these homeless populations, these shanty towns. It's yeah, that- awful what's going on in the real world. Let's save the Oasis, but then let's also not spend too much time there because the real world's pretty good. Ugh, I mean, uh, the film is so banal. So uh, while I was thinking about it, I was thinking, oh, this is so dumb. And actually then I thought, well, it's not dumb because actually... You can tell that there's all these different intelligences, plural, intelligence, plural, you know, that are obviously working on these films. And, you know, and, and kind of, it's got some clever jokes about the use of pop culture and pop icons of previous eras and whatever. But I think to me, it's, even, it's further proof that Steven Spielberg is not a major filmmaker. You know, so he's a technical wizard, there's no doubt. What's that film that we saw about the Cold War with Rylance as well? Oh, Bridge of Spies. Bridge of Spies, right? Which you, you look at some of the shots and you go, wow, like, you know, he's just so good, right? But actually, he's, it, it's like a child with an enormous vocabulary who's got nothing to say about the world, who's got no insight into a world, a history, a situation. You know, it's just of the utmost banality. And I think this was an example. So, you know, here, the key to unlocking the whole narrative is really to unlock the life of the creator of this world, you know, which is meant to be something like the Bible, except you can now go, you know, through all of the elements of, you know, Jesus's life or Buddha's life or, you know, Muhammad's life, whatever, right? Like, it's all encased there. And, like, kind of, you know, a knowledge of this world and all the references and so on is, like, what unlocks, you know, the secret to this world that will free, free everybody. Hmm. And I just thought, ugh, right? So, kind of, you know, you're replacing... 
you know, kind of an, an understanding of the world through the Bible, which was bad enough to begin with, with an understanding of the world through the maker of a video game. I mean, come on. It's just stupid. Well, I mean, <laughs> Sorry. That's fair. It is kind of stupid. I mean, I... Um, no, I, I mean, I, I get you. Like, it is kind of dumb. On the other hand, I did kind of enjoy the, 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 the trail of clues. Um, I don't know how much of the stupidity is sort of uh, drawn from the, the book on which it's based. It's, it was based on a novel that was released in, in about ten years ago, I think. Five, ten years I'd ago. be more curious and um, read it, because but, I suspect the book was more intelligent than what Spielberg has done with it. It would maybe. be a first if it were the other way around. You know, I kind of grew up with him, and I, I love things like Jaws and Raiders of the Lost Ark and mm -hmm. so on. And then he makes these, you know, so-called serious movies that just like blunk, right? And I include Lincoln in that, right? Oh, yeah, kind yeah. of, you know, Lincoln is so, you know, beautiful to look at and it's got kind of great performances and it's just like leaden throughout, right? To be honest, I'm not even convinced that Lincoln's that beautiful to look at. I think it just looks like it needs to look right. well lit and dark. Sort mm, of, do you know what I mean? Maybe. And, and sort of brown and rich. I, I but actually, I, it's nothing, nothing really special. I was very impressed with the look, but you may be right. But anyway, his serious films, like, you know, I remember going to see Schindler's List, you know, and you kind of, I don't know, I felt violated in a way, really, you know. Uh, so you kind of, like, moved, and, but on the other hand, so manipulated. And then when, you know, the, the girl in the red dress came out, you just thought, oh my God, <laughs> you know, to have, like, cheesy filmmaking in the middle of this particular yeah. subject, it was like... <laughs> so... Um, I... I there must, there has to be some way of getting into Ray Player One in terms of the way it handles, um, the way it handles this kind of retro media and and desire for nostalgia. Because the film sort of sets up by saying, "What if nerds ruled the world?" Like the the, the Oasis is. But that's such an old trope, right? But the well, what I'm getting at is the Oasis is created. Um, by this guy who is obsessed with pop culture and and this company that wants to win this contest within the Oasis, this evil company, has an entire department just staffed with nerds obsessing over everything that the creator obsessed over to try and figure out his clues. Mm -hmm. But then, like, obviously, actually, the real world is controlled by nerds. I mean, this is what people don't seem, really seem to accept. When I was at school, and, and even more so, I think, when you were, when you were young... Um, Nerds were the guys who got kicked and bullied and had the piss taken out of them because they were just sat there reading comics mm. and um, and sort of lost in Lord of the Rings. And then, you know, at the turn of the millennium, basically, you had uh, Spider-Man, you had Lord of the Rings, you had all these superhero movies. Like, nerds are in charge now. Nerds are absolutely in charge of big culture. Yes. But they kind of... But it's, it seems like because they're nerds, like, they're not. Like, no, they are. They're, what nerds want is completely what what big business is trying to give them because that's what makes money. I mean, I, I just hate also this trope that it's the nerds who are somehow, you know, going to save the world, really. Mm. You know, kind of nerds are not going to save the world in their bedroom, right? Like kind of, yeah. you know, the world is in a mess at the moment. And actually maybe it's largely because of nerds, actually, and because kind of, you know, uh, people... Because, because films like this kind of, you know, show you... A key to fulfillment that doesn't involve uh, any kind of protest or collective action. 
it kind of like sublimates it, right? So, you know, there's this idea here that, you know, from your video game, you are going to liberate people, you know, and, and, and it's because you're a nerd. And I think kind of, you know, that's such an old thing. It's, it's been going on, I mean, at least, you remember when Stand By Me and films like that came out? You know, it was all about this, actually. You know, so actually, it, it's the oldest trope now. It's one of the oldest tropes in, like, film history. It's been going on for at least 30 years. And A, it's boring, you know, and B, I just, you know, it's unengaging. Well, the thing is, I'm the not sure... The world has changed. The thing <laughs> is, I'm not sure that is what's happening in this film. So if we, if we just try and, like, lay it out, you've got this, um, you've got this digital online world, which everyone uses to escape from the cat- catastrophic real world. Mm. And it's this world that's been created by this nerd and he's filled it with pop culture references and all this stuff from his youth um, that everyone else is kind of into. Um, and at the centre of it, there's this contest that if you if you can kind of figure out his clues to his life and win these certain challenges, then you can... Become a trillionaire. Yeah, you become you get like half a trillion dollars and control of the company and control mm. of Oasis. You own it outright. Right. But most people have given up on this because it's too hard. Then you've got like fans who are obsessed with it, which is what your main character is, who are trying to get to the bottom of it and figure mm. it out. And you've also got this company, IOI, which is run by Ben Mendelsohn, mm. which is evil and is is like a, a rival tech company that wants control of the Oasis so it can control the world. Mm. Um, so it's not sort of quite the case that like being a nerd saves the world because they have, like I say, the, the, like this IOI company weaponizes nerds to, you know, keeps them in teams and it also keeps people okay. in these kind of concentration well, camps. Well, let me be of... more specific. Nerdy outsiders. So, of course, you know, the nerds get co-opted by the company but these nerdy outsiders. I mean, the 11-year-old who's a whiz, you know, blah, blah. The, you know, the person who's living with their mother in a basement and turns out to be a woman. I mean, it's it's just... I, I found it, like, really tired and unengaging and uninvolving and cliched, really. And your thing about the construction of the worlds, I don't agree with it. You know, so, you know, this guy is living with his aunt, but really living... So he's living with his aunt and her abusive partner who hits him, you know, and he's sleeping on these washing machines. I mean, give me a break. You know, they're trying to create this this Kenshin thing, you know. But on the other hand, he's obviously got all this money to buy all this equipment, right? He's buying, like, special bombs and whatever that he can use in the game. I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me. Well, doesn't he do that once he gets the first key and he's rewarded with 100,000 coins? I'm not sure. And that's when he gets, like, his special suit as well because he can translate that into real-world money. Ah, okay, then um, I could have drifted I mean, out at that point. No, <laughs> sure. There is, there is an element of sort of... He, he kind of... In, a, in, like, a junk heap, you know, he, he knows somewhere particularly to go where he's hidden away his particular game where no one else can find it and ruin it. Um, and, like... So there is something about where's where's he getting the power from, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there is there is an element of you just have to buy it that mm-hmm. okay, people can have power to play the game, I guess, mm-hmm. even if they've got nothing else. Um, but I, the, th- the the thing about the references that I was thinking about is there's absolutely no meaning to any of them. They are so superficial, and, and like I say, to the point where even references that are would have meaning to people that people really care about, like the Iron Giant, um, are so stripped of it that actually, I th- is the film trying to say something about that? Is the film trying to say that, like, we we are really interested in symbols and signifiers, and and the underlying sort of uh, 
means to things is something that nobody cares about anymore. Is the film, again, this will be another way in which the film is trying to have its cake and eat it because it wants us to enjoy all the things that it's showing us. Oh, uh, it's being moralistic and stupid saying, oh, you should all, you know, stop doing this and go back to reality. And then it says, oh, but reality only twice a week because I make money off of you the other five days. <laughs> That's the yeah, way I read it. But I mean, but I mean, I think it's interesting that, that the, the fight of the characters is not to overthrow the Oasis which you'd think would really be about sort of, you know, let's actually deal with real world problems. Mm. And the Oasis is distracting us from that. The fight is not to do that. The fight is to keep the Oasis, but keep it un- you know, under their control and not evil control, because they still want to have somewhere to escape to See, and enjoy is... their nostalgia. But that's also why I think it's of the utmost banality, mm. right? So an act of goodness here means that, you know, rather than this huge thing which I imagine is like Facebook or Apple or something Yeah, is you know the idea so rather than it being you know controlled by one person the fact that you now share it amongst four friends is the solution to the world's problems I mean it's stupid right and, and like the indication is that you know none of them will ever be greedy or turn evil or you know grow up into like you know just being human and you know having not so pleasant aspects to their character it's just stupid I've, conception of people and the world. That's possibly true, but then I think this actually this comes onto something which I was thinking about, which is about who the film is addressed to, because I think a message of that sort, and like I say, the way this film ends, like all of those classic kids' films, like Hook or like Goonies or something, where mm. it's, oh, actually I haven't seen Goonies, but I assume, <laughs> but like films like that where it's all kind of the right messages are being given mm. to you at the end, and everyone kind of gets together as a group and goes, "Yay!" Um, those are films aimed at sort of 8 to 13 year olds you know those PG movies that end mm. that way and that's how this film ends and I think and actually it like for me it activated all those switches for me like I, I went with it right yeah. and I was happy with the way it ended because I because it was not creative it was completely generic but it was I recognised the genre it was drawing on and being part of but then on the other hand like a kid of that age seeing this film will have that message provided for them, but the rest of the film is not for them. The rest of the film is for people who are 18 and above. Who get all the references. Get all the references, right? Wow. So, like, the, there, is this, there is this problem, th- this inconsistency with who the film is addressed to. Yeah. You know what it made me think of? The Lego movie. Yeah. You know, except that the Lego movie did it with so much style and elegance and humour and wit more creativity you know I enjoyed this and, I, and it had lots of good jokes but it wasn't as creative or as witty yeah that's for sure so, I, I guess to sum up what I thought of the film there is stuff that I think is interesting but maybe the film doesn't even think it's very interesting and in, in terms of like who it's addressed to and the way you're meant to interpret it or where you can interpret it but also generally, I had a, I had a good time during it, and I really enjoyed the shining sequence, which I wasn't expecting to. Well, you know, I I mean, it's one of those things that you think it's theoretically imaginative, but actually the execution itself did nothing for me. Yeah, you know, so um, to me, it's it's a, a, a creatively a bankrupt work, you know, that kind of you know puts into question. For me, uh, uh, Spielberg's achievements as a director <laughs> that have always actually been in question. Yeah. Really, I wish it was more satirical. Mm. Frankly, I think you know the kind of people for whom it's on whom it's based and for whom it's made. You know, kind of eighteen and above white 
blokes, mm. basically, who are obsessed with video games. There's so much to take the piss out of mm. there, and so much to mock and so much to criticise, and the film has no intention really of doing any of that, even subtly. Exactly. Even, even kind of subtextually, I don't think, which is a shame, because I think there's there's lots of room for a really good work of satire about that. Okay. Um, Birmingham. Yes, so uh, a lot of this film is filmed in Birmingham. Um, the uh, it's it, you know probably 30 35% of it is uh real world mm. and some of that is shot on location and most of that uh if not all of it was was shot in birmingham um i went to see some of it being filmed mm. way back when because it was filmed to, like two roads down from me mm. on livery street and 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 recognizing the bits of birmingham that you recognize was fantastic because they must have driven up and down Livery Street in the film about ten times. Mm. And also in the film, it's just substituting for any place. Like you don't look at the road. But when you're from there, you look yes. at it and you go, you're just on Livery Street again. Yes. The same place. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't gone anywhere. Uh, Having said that, it was really good fun to see bits of Birmingham that you recognise. Yeah, it is lovely. On, on, in a way, for me, the film was, was like, it was referencing lots of video games and movies that I like. And it was also referencing a city that I like. Well, but I found it amusing because... You know, uh, on the local news, there was an interview with Spielberg about, you know, uh, why he had shot in Birmingham and how proud everyone was that they had shot in Birmingham and that you can actually recognize streets of Birmingham in the film and, you know, rah, rah, rah. And then, of course, what they don't tell you is that Birmingham is meant to stand for this, you know, uh, futuristic dystopian. <laughs> yeah. Did you not know that? I did know I that. I thought it was such a perfect yeah. choice. No, but that, that's why I think it's so funny that, yeah. you know, the local, uh, uh, you know, news and so on is publicizing this as like, isn't it great? Birmingham's in the movies. But they don't tell you, yes, yes. but it's, it's a futuristic dystopia. <laughs> True. <laughs> It was very good fun. I enjoyed looking the bits. Yes, actually, I think you know, for Brummies, that's enough of a reason to go see it. Actually, I, I think actually, yeah, it really is because it's a, it's a, it's a proper, you know, sort of action adventure movie. Um, well, except well, that they drive up and down Livery Street without times. without any good action or or exciting adventure. Well, actually, <laughs> we can agree to disagree on that because, uh, like I say, I actually I had a really good time, and I don't think it was just because I'm a sucker for the references. I think it's because it actually did have some good. I think I took it on. I I I think I took it as not as serious as. It, oh, I'm trying to th- trying to think how to phrase it. Like, I just I guess I do keep going back to those childhood movies like like Hook, where it was like a band of kids, mm. uh, you know, kind of learning simple moral messages. Mm. I think that's what it is, but it is dressed up with this sort of, like. Or this nostalgia bullshit, hmm. but but because I took it as that sort of kiddie movie, I think it actually does that really well. I just think that's not how anyone else sees it. Well, I went in with no expectations. Actually, I, I I I have somehow missed the news. I've been away, so I didn't even know it was a Spielberg film, and I just went because that's what you wanted to see, really. Yeah. You know, uh, and let me tell you, I found it like dull, uninvolving, and ugly to look at. I would be interested to see how like a a, a ten year old finds it because mm. I I think I think its structure and its uh, kind of simplistic characterization and simplistic kind of happy moral ending mm. sort of thing is all is all completely like those other films that it, I don't think it's like doing all that stuff badly but it is weird that it's addressed to this kind of dual audience where you have to be old enough to get the references but young enough to want this mm. it's kind of moral kiddie movie you yeah. know what I mean I do know so it's weird 
Yes. Okay. On that note. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's let's call it a day on that one. I'm, yeah, I, I'm glad I saw it. I suppose. Mm, well, you know, it wasn't as bad as everyone. There was nothing on TV. Actually, to be fair, when I said it wasn't as bad as everyone else said, what I was really thinking about was I've seen a lot of talk on Twitter and things like this of people who are you know into their pop culture and into their nerd stuff, who are all really worried about it. And I think actually, the moral of it for me is that those people are all taking it way, way too seriously. It's not that important. No, it's just expensive. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently okay. it's got to make $500 million to make its money it's, back. It's going to flop. Do you reckon? I reckon. It's made $100 million already. 120. Yes, well, let's see what the second week is like. Yeah. Okay, do you want some upside-down pineapple cake with some coffee? Why not? Uh, uh, we're on Twitter, eavesdrop, at eavesdropmovies. We're on Facebook, eavesdropping at the movies. And uh, all of that stuff. So, there you go.